Welcome, 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 everybody. I hope you're ready. I hope you're excited. This is going to be a kick blank podcast. This is Let's Run.com co-founder Robert Johnson. Welcome you to the Let's Run.com's weekly track talk podcast. And you should be shortly joined by a staff writer, Jonathan Galt, as well as my twin brother, Weldon Johnson. But we have so much to talk about, folks. Lots of marathon news, lots of great marathon news. Hamburg Marathon on, Fargo Marathon on. A little bit of not-so-great marathon news like Berlin and New York being canceled. We'll get into that. We also actually have some... Berlin is not canceled, Robert. Let's get the facts out. Yes, it, yes, it is. What? Well, then, they ju- literally just announced it. It's officially canceled. Today? Yes. When? Like 10 minutes off to New York. What? Wait, we're keeping this on the podcast. Oh, no. The Hamburg news yesterday. I was like a kid in a candy store. I'm like, we're going to have Berlin. We're going to have London. Then I hear New York is canceled. This was terrible. But I'm like, the Germans, they got it together. They got Hamburg. We're going to have Berlin. Okay, Chicago, hang in there. Chicago, show us what you can do. Show us that Midwestern spirit. Well, then, you you have to be truly, truly, like, just delusional to believe the Chicago Marathon is going to happen at this point. Um, And the Boston Marathon in Texas, there's a city in Texas, a town in Texas called Boston. I may host it. I may host it. Texas just had, didn't they just have the highest daily positive test count? I mean... Texas is like the last place you want to have a marathon. You'd rather have it in the summer than in the winter and the fall with the flu season. Before I can even finish the intro, I guess we'll be talking about marathons. John, to me, the real big thing on COVID is, yes, the cases are skyrocketing because people are not following Robert Johnson's advice. Idiots. Just because we're opening up a few restaurants doesn't mean you shouldn't be wearing a mask. Doesn't mean you should be going to like doing shots with your friends in an indoor bar. But how dare these people not get Robert's advice from Let's Run podcast every week? This is disgraceful. They're listening to like Fauci and those guys. Come on. Man. Oh, Fauci, the guy who told us not to wear a mask. Yeah, he's some genius. What we're going to find out real soon, real quick, is does it matter if every 25 year old idiot on spring break in Florida gets COVID or not? And, you know, I think this, the theory is it's not dangerous for them, it's dangerous for them infecting other people. But people, calm down, wear a mask. And please, but, you know, I, I, yes, it's not a surprise to me at all that these major marathons are canceled. The, the mayors are, are risk averse. What do you gain if you spread this disease? Nothing. You just get criticized in the history books. I do think that a bunch of healthy people, if you particularly have, if you had an age cap of about 40 or 50 on it, maybe 40, I couldn't run it. You know, if some people getting this disease, it wouldn't be the end of the world. But I, I think that I, I've tried to tell Walden this. To me, a mass marathon is probably one of the last things going to come back because of the heavy breathing everybody around each other. Other things to talk about besides the marathons, guys, though, the Atlanta Track Club took on the Oregon Track Club in a virtual race. Dwayne Solomon has officially retired. And we've had a couple of mile legends pass away, unfortunately, in the last week or so. But the big news, I think, from last night, I mean, no one even knew about this. Nico Young, the American high schooler, made an attempt at Galen Rupp's 1337 U.S. high school 5,000-meter record in Portland, came up short, ran 1350. We've got to talk about that and a whole lot more. But first of all, guys, before we get, and gals too, before we get to this, have you signed up for the Let's Run.com summer training program? The numbers are up. We've expanded it to adults because of popular demand. But not everyone that listens to this podcast has signed up. So stop being a cheapskate. Sign up. John Kelly and I will coach you. Des Linden, what are you waiting for? 
Robert's such a bad marketer. Stop being a cheapskate is his call to marketing. Robert, you expand the values of the program, how it's great. And speaking of signing up, I'm one of the coaches of the program. I have signed up myself. I did my first run today. Eric, our web developer, and I are also in the program ourselves because we want a little motivation. So I don't know if that's allowed. Like I'm receiving workouts, but I'm actually helping coach people on the mental side of running. So look out. I'm going to be kicking Robert's butt and running by the end of the summer. John, that leads me to a confession. I know we have a... We may or may not have a $300 bet that I never break a three-hour marathon the rest of my life. I'm in physical therapy with a calf injury. I've barely run in the last 10 days. It's not looking good right now. I was going to sign up for my own program. But, if folks, if you're still in high school, you can sign up. If you're an adult, the person running the most on this program so far all summer is a 40-plus adult. He's getting up to 101 miles. We've got people way down in the 30s. Whatever you do, you can sign up. Don't take my word for it. Take the word of Running with the Buffalo's author, Chris Lear, who's going to rave about his experience with John Kellogg in this clip right now. Hi, this is Chris Lear. So my experience working with John Kellogg was about 15 years ago when my my own competitive career was done and I was getting ready to run a half marathon. And I was really curious to see how different the experience would be with Kellogg based on all the success that we do ahead relative to anything I've done in the past. And so I ran a program that he designed for about five months. And when I finished, I thought I would run about an hour 15 for a half marathon. And I ended up running about an hour nine. And it, it was one of the few times in my life where I was really totally shocked by what I was able to do um, because it so far surpassed what I thought I could do given the training I had done. Um, everything was really effort-based, and I think maybe within my limits, I never really felt like I was really pushing the envelope so much. So it was a real positive surprise to the upside, and I really got to see the value of uh, his training methodology and come to understand and get a better sense of why Ouija was able to have so much success running with him. So it was a great experience uh, running with uh, the Kellogg program. And also, if you're training, you need to stay healthy. And Norma Tech and Hyper Ice, their biggest sale ever, is back on Let's Run.com. Link to it in the show notes. You can save 300 bucks on the Norma Tech Pulse Recovery System or 50 bucks on Hyper Ice percussion products. So if you're looking for the little extra something to stay healthy, check that out. Link's in the show notes right now. I actually forgot the link to the coaching page. Let's run.com slash coaching. John, but where should we begin? You're the journalist here. I think we have to talk about New York and Berlin because that just happened. We're recording this Wednesday morning and then the news just broke. Not really a huge surprise. Berlin, I mean, basically admitted they weren't going to be able to hold it as usual and that either meant they were going to postpone it. All They have rules against mass gatherings in Germany through, I think, October 24th so they would have needed some sort of permit or special exception apparently Hamburg has secured it because Hamburg's supposed to be on September 13th but Berlin is a bigger race it's you know a bigger city they've just said it's not happening so I'm not totally surprised by that New York not really surprised by that either I mean the one thing is it's in November so it's still you know over four months away but 
reading this t- story in the New York Times, they kind of noted two things. One, if they stop, if they announce it now, they can stop working on all the planning, any sort of further expenses they would have incurred in staging it. They can cut that off now. They also have some insurance on the race. I don't know how much they're going to recoup because obviously they're not getting any entry fees for this year. But I, I, it's unfortunate, but I think it's also probably the safest idea. Getting 50,000 people, New York City is the, New York, is the world's largest marathon. Getting them plus a million spectators on the streets of New York, plus all the volunteers and everyone who has to go into work on this thing. I don't, I, based on everything I'm reading, I still don't think by November 1st, the country's going to be in a great spot to do that. So I understand it. It's unfortunate, but I think it probably had to happen. Far from a surprise, given how much of their, one thing about New York, John, that's different than most of these other marathons is the high percentage of international competitors. I think it's well over 50%. And they do like a little bit of a lottery for Italians and a little bit of a lottery for Spanish people. And it's a huge tourism draw. So I wasn't surprised at all. I mean, considering New York and the spectators, I mean, I, again, I could hold these things without spectators. I'm just really pumped that someone's trying to do something. Again, I'm worried about these mass marathons, but Hamburg, hey, if they've got a planning in place that they think is going to work, you know, I think that that's a good thing. Well, I think it's going to be an interesting test case because they have a plan to have a field of 10,000 people 4,000 uh, in the half marathon, sorry, 10,000 in the marathon, 4,000 in, in the, sorry, 4,000 in the half marathon, 10,000 in the regular marathon. They're going to be starting in waves of 1,000 at a time. Everyone will be giving a tubular scarf with a breathing filter that they have to wear in the event areas, so start, finish, all of that, those places at all times, except for during the race itself. I don't think they need to wear it. And they're also banning runners either elite runners or you know regular mass runners from countries that they deem to be at higher risk so i'd assume that means absolutely no americans given that the u.s has the most cases in the world but it's gonna be interesting if they have this event and it's everything goes off okay and you don't see a huge spike that's the biggest problem you're going to be contact tracing from ten thousand people is going to be very tough but you know maybe if the thing this thing goes off smoothly it's encouragement for somewhere either later in the winter or earlier in you know, early in 2021 to stage a race. But uh, yeah, I agree, Robert. It's good that people are trying to make something happen. I mean, I always like to play devil's advocate. I think I'm good at seeing both sides of the story. But I mean, shouldn't we? I've been very worried about these people, heavy breathing and whatever. That's why I want to have professional sporting events, but no cheering. You have to use a noisemaker to cheer. But I mean, how many people were in that Black Lives Matter march in, in LA? Wasn't that hundreds of thousands of people? right on top of each other. I'm assuming when you're at a protest rally, you're not being quiet. Have we seen a spike of cases because of that? Do we know? Are we allowed to ask those questions? The more information we can get about this disease, you know, the better. But um, the Hamburg thing is kind of interesting. Well, a couple points of order. One, John made it sound like the city has approved this. They do not have a permit yet. So in the German press release, people are noting they're saying like six to eight weeks before the race, they expect they're expecting to get approval, but it hasn't been, you know, this is sort of wait and see. But I like this approach. Germany has handled the coronavirus much better than the United States. And if they can hold what they think is a safe event, that's great. And also the thing with COVID is like with cases spiking in certain parts of the country and other stuff, there's no nuance. Everybody wants to act like they're doing it better than somebody else or somebody's doing it worse or like outdoor events, indoors events. I mean, 
we're going to start seeing, you know, what works and what doesn't. But like the science behind this seems to show that outdoor events are much more safe than indoor events. So if you're going to have a mass event, an outdoor mass event might be one that works. So hopefully the Hamburg can show a model for the rest of the country, the rest of the world. But I don't know. It's kind of rich. I'm in Connecticut. Proud to, proud to be a Connecticut resident now. Also a Texan. So I, I have a lot of perspective on COVID now. But Connecticut, do you guys know this? We're now number one lowest transmission rate in COVID-19. That's good because Connecticut was eventually, initially a hotspot. And one of the things that actually bothered me about John said, John says the U.S. has one of the highest cases. I don't care about an absolute term, the highest cases. I'm looking at a per capita basis. I mean, the U.S. is still pretty high in this. But, guys, I think we're missing one key thing here. We, we, we say we may have missed the forest from the trees. The biggest story here is this cancellation, particularly by New York, reminds me of something that I'm worried about, folks. John – just, I'm going to ask you a little bit of history lesson. It's not going to have to go very far back, not even one year. The Tokyo Marathon this year, did they have a mass race? They did not. But did they have an elite pro race? They did. God bless you, Tokyo. God bless you, Japan. You treat distance running and marathoning the way Let's Run treats it as a professional elite sport. Let's Run was founded to promote two things. The sport of running as an elite activity, as a profession, and also to spread the John, training gospel of John Kellogg. Those are the two reasons. We didn't want to have created this as a hobby jobbing activity, as a charity fundraising activity. And that's my fear that these mass marathons have become. New York started as an elite race, right? I mean, that was the point, right? It was a fast race for fast people. And Boston was an elite race. Now these things have become in charity. I know that the, 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 now that they're professional races, that the masses, it, it's kind of like a Ponzi scheme. The masses, you know, support, provide the money for the pros. So without the masses, it may be hard to pay for the pros. But with New York's budget, is it too much to ask for them to drop $2 million on an elite pro race or in Central Park only? Well, I don't think it is. I, the, I think that's an intriguing idea, Robert, but... I'm just going to say they said in they told the New York Times they did explore the idea of having an elite race. They decided against it for multiple reasons. One was they were worried people would come out to watch, and two was that they were worried they weren't going to be able to secure international travel for all these people, you know, coming in from around the world to have a truly world class field. Excuses, excuses, excuses. You, you can make people social distance in terms of the crowd. And how, come on, you can't get people over here from Kenya and Ethiopia on a plane? I think you can pretty easily. Right. It's pretty interesting, right? Because the U.S. Open tennis is supposed to go on as planned in September um, without fans. And that'll be interesting what's happening. I mean, you've seen the tennis world. Djokovic was holding an exhibition event in Serbia. There are no, like, tens, of, I think thousands of people are coming out. There's no social distancing. Did you guys hear about this? I didn't know about that. All I know is I know he now has the coronavirus. Yeah, and he got the coronavirus. But also, you know what also he was doing after these events? There was no social distancing, thousands of fans. He was going to nightclubs and partying, packed nightclubs. Like, you might be able to have an outdoor tennis event with fans right on one each other. Who knows? I mean, the spread of this disease there might be very different than an, being in a nightclub with 200 people could be worse than being in an outdoor event with tens of thousands. I mean, honestly, I'm not a scientist. I don't know this. But, like, there's no nuance. There's, like, no nothing. Now people in Connecticut are patting themselves on the back, saying, like, it's because we took action. We have the lowest transmission rate. 
people in Connecticut now are actually doing more. You know, we're active. We're outside more. We're doing more activities. We're going to stores. We're actually doing more than when the case rate was really high. So you see what I'm saying? So the cause and effect can be backwards. To some extent, the disease runs through a community to a certain extent. It's going to pick off the most vulnerable at first, and then I think there's some immunity built up. I mean, that's this isn't a totally scientific thing, right? But, like, obviously we need to take measures. But, like, just because you have the disease now or don't have the disease doesn't – like, we all get pat in the backs. I say the governor of Cu- governor Cuomo of New York now may ban people from Florida coming to New York. That's kind of rich, right? Like – I mean, yeah, yeah. The, the the genius who put all, all the COVID patients in the nursing homes in, in New York is now now going to, you know, be holier than thou. So, right, John, my eyes are glazing over with this COVID talk. Let's get, let's getting, finish. You know, let's but finish come on. this. New York City, really, John? You can't rent one one private plane, fly it to Kenya, which then go to Ethiopia and then come back. I mean, yeah, it's going to cost a couple hundred thousand dollars. But uh, I, I mean, first of all, I do think there are commercial flights. I think that you you could get somebody here. And it's just disappointing to me that, you know, they're raising the white flag like this. You're not going to have the rate fl- white flag raised, and in, 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 I don't think. You've already seen golf come back. You're not going to see it in Major League Baseball. You're not going to see it in the major professional sports. There is nobody, you know, and, and they're more worried about the mass events. And, and, I, and I get that, but, you know. I mean, Robert, correct me if I'm wrong, but none of the major four sports have actually come back and started playing games yet. Well, let's talk about that, John. I thought you'd have a little more enthusiasm. The Premier League is back in, in England. John's team... In, in England. In England. We, we're not talking about England here. We're talking about the worst country in the world with the no. in terms of positive cases. No, 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 no. John, John, see, this is your bias. England has a worse case of corona, way worse than the United States on a per capita basis. It's not even close. It's like 30 40 50% higher. Well, give me the stats if you can find them. But <laughs> England has a bigger coronavirus per person than the United States, and they have professional sports back, and, and, and the soccer's fine. How hard is it to play soccer with 10 people? And, if it, oh, my God, a, a 22-year-old healthy million, multimillionaire may get sick. And if they don't want to play, they don't have to play because they make so much money that they don't need it for, for their income. Anyways, let's talk about this Nico Young race. Yeah, I mean, this thing... So I think there's a lot of takes on this. Let's let's give a background. Some people may not know the specifics of everything. So last night, I was having trouble putting my two year old down to sleep, and he was it was like ten, coming on eleven o'clock, and I glanced down at my phone, and I think it was ten fifty seven, or maybe actually it was right after eleven. But John had seen this tweet at ten fifty seven a p.m. East Coast time. Runner Space sends out a tweet that Nico Young is going for the five thousand. Galen Rupp's 1337-5000 record. And the race will start in 63 minutes at 12 minutes. U.S. Week. high school record. Yeah. Yes. So this thing is announced basically at 11 p.m. for a 12 p.m. start, midnight start, which to me is absolutely insane. Originally, it was going to be behind the runner space paywall. And then eight minutes before the race goes off, they say, oh, we're switching it to not the behind the paywall. We're going to make it free for all. And then... I finally get my son to sleep. I didn't realize what was going on. I said, John, when's it going? At 12.01, I text John. John's like, right now. So, John, tell us what it was like. You watched the whole thing or tried to watch it. I mean, watching it was impossible. The stream was just very, it it would freeze up every two seconds. I mean, it was unwatchable. But the event, look, here's my take. First of all, Nico, so he ran 1350.55. He only had pacemaking through, I think, about halfway. And the interesting thing about this attempt he did it in portland 
And he did it in Portland because Galen Rupp was supposed to pace him for the record that Galen Rupp currently owns, which would have been really cool, I think, to see. And Rupp actually did show up to watch. He just wasn't pacing. I think he scratched right before because... Well, I don't know how, how far in advance he scratched, but he had some sort of injury and uh, didn't want to tweak anything. So he didn't end up pacing it. But Nico came through 3,200, I think, in about 843, which is pretty darn fast. But then the last 1,600, doing it alone, he faded... Uh, 433 for the last 1600 so he ended up running 1350 that's still the number four time in u.s history behind only rupp dathan ritzenhine and jerry lindgren so still a really impressive run but i think the the problem you and i had about this robert is if you're going to have something like this this is something every high school running fan in the united states would want to watch nico young trying to break galen rupp's record he's one of the best distance prospects we've seen in years and they're going to stream it. Like, this isn't like they just decide to have some time trial on the Newbury Park track. They fl- they flew or drove, I don't know. They got to Portland somehow, which is not close to Newbury Park, which is in Southern California. They had timing set up. They had commentators lined up on miles on uh, runner space. They had a camera crew there. You know, I just don't understand why, if you're going to stream this thing, only announce it one hour beforehand. And I've been told, well, it's because they didn't want spectators to show up well, we've had a bunch of these virtual events. You know, they, look at the Oregon Track Club, Atlanta Track Club duel. They announced that well ahead of time, and they didn't say the location because they didn't want people to show up. So if you just say, hey, we're going to have this race on Tuesday night. It's going to be at this time. That's all you need to say. You don't need to say where, when, what, sorry, where it's going to happen. You just tell people it's happening so you give them a heads up. I think it would have been more exciting that way. Yeah. When I first heard about it, you know, between 11 and 12 last night, I was like, oh, my God, this reminds me of Alan Webb's 346 mile. Like, if a tree falls in a forest and, and, and no one's there, you know, that old adage, like, if a record is broken and no one witnesses, is it still broken? I guess in Alan Webb's case, yes, it was. But, yes, I, I agree with you, John. I, my brain, I was like, why wouldn't you announce that? I'm like, well, maybe they didn't want the pressure. I'm like, well, wait a minute. He's, they're already going up to Portland. They try to get Galen Rupp to Rabbit. They have a camera crew, all this stuff. That doesn't make any sense. So I, I got a text from a source who said that, and you pointed out, John, you could say we're going to stream it at this time. You don't have to say the venue. And this source said that, that he thought that, um, that the track that they on, where they were worried that the track, that they were competing on was not going to be could possibly be closed or not be officially open. Supposedly, um, let's see here. This text. They thought they had a venue all figured out and approved last week, but it fell through, so they had to scramble. They were worried about it being closed. They went out the night before to scout it out. So this is kind of uh, this is kind of actually a little concerning that they thought this track might not really be open, or if they find out about it, it's going to be closed. And anyways. So no publicity ahead of time, and then he comes up short. The other thing that we haven't mentioned is this was run. The irony of this is really rich. They travel during a, a, a global pandemic from Portland. I mean, excuse me, from Southern California up to Portland to run this race. Presumably because Rupp can rabbit the race up there. Now you're ever asking why would Rupp rabbit this? This is kind of cool actually. I think it would have been a great PR stunt for, for Galen Rupp to. Rabbit, the guy who breaks his record. Would have made, where people would have thought, oh, that's so cool. Would have been an amazing story. Rupp, remember, now is coached by Mike Smith, NAU coach, who's going to be coaching Nico Young next year. So that's kind of interesting. Like, Is that an extra added NCAA benefit? Like, hey, come to NAU and we have Rupp. Robert, this is just... 
No, hey. it's not. You can't just having a guy run and race the same race as you. That's not an extra benefit. Anyways, Mike Smith should move into PR because this is bru- this was so brilliantly done to try to have Rob Rabbit. But Do we even know Mike Smith was involved in this, though, Robert. You're just connecting dots here. We don't know how this came about. God, John, come on. Originally, I thought Alberto was involved, and then I, the Mike Smith connection. Mike Smith, coach Mike Smith, Nico Young is going to be coached by Mike Smith last year. Mike Smith coaches Galen Rupp. Sean Brosnan. I would co- assume he's involved. I'm just saying, you, Robert's speculating about a whole bunch of things we don't know about this event. All I know is that I think, look, their goal clearly was not to attract the most viewers possible, but I think it's a really cool event. I think it's awesome that Nico went for it. And if they're going to stream it, you may as well announce it more than an hour beforehand that this is going to happen. But it's, it's, it's kind of ironic here. We're missing a big picture here. They go up to Portland. The rabbiting ends up being poor because Galen Rupp pulls out. Now, I, my source says that Rupp had pulled out by Monday. So they had poor rabbiting, and the weather was terrible. It was 79 degrees. That's very warm for a 5,000 meters. The ironic thing about this, folks, is we're in a global pandemic. Look at the weather right now in Newberry Park. It's 60. It's perfect. It's in the 60s right now at night, 60 degrees. They could have stayed at home. And run perfect race. Instead, they fly out for a pandemic, tell no one about it, and then come up 13 seconds short, possibly by the weather. John Kellogg has just walked into the office here. I'm going to bring him over in a minute, and we're going to ask him how much would 79 degree temperatures infect somebody in a 5,000 meter race? Enough criticism. It's very easy to be the critic. What's the Teddy Roosevelt quote? Anyway, uh, uh oh, I mentioned Teddy Roosevelt. I think I'm in trouble. But. Is anyone else impressed by the, I don't know, Galen Rupp, the sort of public transformation? He's doing events. He's supposedly on some couple podcasts and, or a video show or something. And ever since he's left Alberta, we're seeing that stuff. I heard about this thing last night. I think that the race was already over. I clicked on the stream. It was the worst stream I've ever seen. It was like cutting in and out. I just saw this guy in green, and I'm like staring. I'm like, is that Rupp? And tried to make sense of it. So I think it Sure, it didn't. It's easy to say in that retrospect, it didn't work out. It's so stupid to fly up there. Rupp didn't do it, but like the intention was good. We're going to go up there. Rupp's going to show he's selfless, helping the next generation break his record. It's been a, been a great, cool story. So yep. when you go for something a lot of times in life, it doesn't turn out. Let's just not poo poo this thing. Thank you. Well done. Great run. Number four time, all time. For Nico, it's actually not that great of a run, but like, come on. Like, we're talking about it. I don't think there's much more that needs to be said about it. I think you could have held it in, sh- in anywhere else and had better rabbiting. I mean, but th- that's an issue, but whatever. Well, no. Well, you make a good point. It's easy to criticize. Yeah, we should praise them for But the thing is, there was so much potential to this. If you announce it with Rupp and everything, but then Rupp pulls out and then the weather. This is where Salazar would have gone crazy. I don't think Salazar lets this race go in 79 degree weather. Even if you waited one day in Portland, it's about 10 degrees cooler. So yesterday was the hottest day of the year in Portland. And, you know, I was reading Rich Gonzalez from Prep Caltrack, at Prep Caltrack on, on, on Twitter. He was saying that Young's, he'd heard about where Young's workouts, they were incredible. He was in 1320 shape. So it, it had a lot of potential, but I'm just like, in the end, it ended up being like a, not a disaster. I mean, look look at the names that he's next to, John, on, on the top five list. Let's read those off. Yeah, number one is Galen Rupp, obviously. Number two, Jerry Lindgren. Number three, Dathan Ritzenhain. Number four is Nico Young. And Steve Prefontaine, John. 
Wait, yes, Steve Free, Steve Freefontaine's number five, Robert. According to Track and Field News, they have. Oh yeah, sorry, Steve Prefontaine, thirteen fifty-two. So that's incredible. You got four NCAA cross-country individual champs. You know, for starters, obviously all those other guys have accomplished a lot more than that as well. But yeah, pretty incredible list to be on. Okay, guys, I'm now sharing an office with the great John Kellogg. He can't hear us, but he's standing right next to me as we work on the tirelessly every day, giving you your training plans, getting you in great shape. John, you're our weather and stat coaching guru. How much do you think a 79-degree weather would impact you in a 5,000-meter? I'd say 12 or 13 seconds. <laughs> John, John actually just came in the office. John, do you have any idea what Nico Young ran last night? No. <laughs> so, folks, he doesn't even know. Wait, come on. No, he, he just came out. Wow. Just came up. He's, he was asleep. So, 12 to 13 seconds. 13, last time I checked, John, 1350 minus 13 is 1337, and Rupp's record is 1337. So, I think he clearly, well. Is that right, though? These diamond, they run a lot of these diamond leagues in the 70s, and the temperatures, they, they've, I've seen people, guys run like 1255 in 70 degree well, weather. Right. Like, but, that's my that's my take. When you go back and look look at Dathan Ritzenheim, was that two thousand nine? When he ran that ten thousand at Worlds, what did he run? Twenty seven, twenty something. Two, I think. Yeah, way back. But then a week or two later, he runs twelve fifty six, and you're like, how can he do that? It's because that was in high seventy degree temperature. Now, I, I I agree, John. Some people seem can seemingly handle that weather better than others. But is one second a lap? I mean, even if it's not one second a lap, let's say the weather's five or six seconds, but then you, you, you blow up, you don't have the pacing. I mean, if you gave him another crack, do I think he could break 1337? Yes. Yeah, I, I don't think saying, like, anyone who's crapping on Nico for the time, I, I just think it's, you know, obviously it's not as fast as he'd want to run, but I don't think, it, A, it's a good performance, and B, like, yeah, it's a, it's a one-off race. I don't think we should just be crapping on him for that. And again, like you guys said, like the event, I'm glad it happened. I think it could have been executed better, but I think it was a good. I'm, I'm I think it would have, could have been really cool. I mean, enough. I was gonna say, let's quit pissing on the like future of American distance running, Nico Young. But then I forgot he's only the third best runner in his family. Were the twins there? They should have had the twins. His younger twin brothers pace him. They could have been the Pacers. It could have been a family affair. They could have done it at Newberry Park. I mean, they tried to get Galen Rupp. They could have just done a family affair in California. It's all about family with COVID shutdown. Maybe they should have just had people hop in and hop out in the pacing. Who cares if it's an official time? Seriously? Like, he, you could still say, dude, we know this kid ran a 1350 for five, 1340 for 5,000 with people hopping in and out. Well, speaking of Diamond League, I heard someone, John, mention the times they run in Diamond League meets. We are going to have some more Diamond League track and field, and it was announced yesterday that Mo Farah will be participating in the Brussels Diamond League meet. Well, I'm not sure how much of a meet we're going to have, but he's going to be attempting to break the one-hour track world record. Yeah, so I had two reactions to this. One was, oh, this is cool, because this is Mo Farah's first track race since 2017 when he retired to go to the marathon. And you know now he's back. He's running on the track because he said he's going for the Olympic gold in the 10K next year. So he's going for the record, which is 21,285 meters by Haile Gebrselassie. He set that in 2007, so that was actually a little past Geb's prime. Well, actually, well, Geb had a very extended period of very good running, but it was probably about 10 years past his prime. So, you know, probably gettable for Mo if he's in shape. But the other thing, this thing kind of had me worried, 
is they're adding this one hour run attempt. Does that mean that they're not actually going to be able to have like a normal track meet? Because I think the thing with the Diamond League is they said with the impossible games that we saw a couple weeks ago in Oslo and then the inspiration games in Zurich next month, those are sort of virtual meets. They're trying to do a lot of social distancing, but the hope was among people that by the time the regular Diamond League schedule begins in August with the Monaco Diamond League meet, we would have a bit more traditional trap meet. You know, people would be having races in multiple peoples per field, you know, normal distance races. This kind of makes me think that might not be feasible if they're billing this up as, you know, a big thing to do. It's just going to be Mo and Bashir Abdi, his training partner, who is second in the Tokyo Marathon this year. Well, at this stage, we can't be too picky about what we're getting. Any track and field meets would be good. Yeah, I'm not trying to criticize them. If if this is what they have to do to have a a meet, I'm fine. Like if that's the safest best option, please go ahead. It's just a little, you know, maybe may disappointing. Speaking of countries and whatnot, Robert earlier asked me for per capita death rates. This Diamond League meet will be in Brussels. Belgium is like I think maybe the worst. It's hard because I'm looking at a graph. Belgium might be one of the worst countries per capita of deaths of Corona in the world. Yet they're going to have a track meet there. So that supports some of my theory that once COVID runs through a place, it's almost a safer place to have stuff. But per capita death rates, per 100,000 population, this is per a chart on the John Hopkins mortality website. Belgium, 85 deaths per 100,000. John, the UK has 64, 000, 64 per 100,000. The United States, nearly half the UK, John, 37 deaths per 100,000. Last time I checked, John, there is soccer going on outdoors in the UK, and the US is still struggling to get events going on, and I think that shows the problem of having 50 states and trying to get everyone on the same page. But in a country with the UK with nearly twice the death rate of the US, they are now having outdoor sporting events professional without fans, and somehow Major League Baseball couldn't get its act together until now. Well, first of all, baseball, that's another story. because these dumb owners who've seen their, their, the values of their teams go from $300 million to like $2 billion in the last 10, 15 years are unwilling to lose any money on the season. They think they, they should just, oh, we should break even this season. Everyone else in this country is losing tons of money. I'm losing tons of money. Yet these billionaires can't, can't afford to give out like $20 million per team to these players, most of whom will only play like one or two seasons in the major leagues. It's absolutely insanity. The owners are completely wrong there. But, John, i got to make a correction to you. You don't make very many mistakes, but when I think I find one, I, I'm excited to point it out. You said in 2007, Geb was like a decade past his prime. Well, are you aware of the fact that he said a – a marathon world record in 2007 of 204.26 and another marathon world record of 203.59 in 2008. Yeah, yeah I was aware of that. Oh my gosh. Breaking news alert. What was I just talking about? I thought it was a joke, but now the Wall Street Journal app has notified me. This is so rich. New York, New Jersey, Connecticut. Tell travelers from areas with high coronavirus rates to self-isolate. If you're coming from the restriction applies, you're supposed to self-quarantine from 14 days. If you come from Florida, Texas, and Arizona. Well, thankfully, my mom just came to see her grandbaby for the first time this past weekend because now, according to this, I guess I'm not in New York anymore. Ned Lamont is my governor. My mom would would have been supposed to, I'm not sure, lock herself in the house for 14 days. This is so rich. The 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 states that like 
I don't know if how you want to say it, had the highest corona. We're getting pissed when states were locking them out. Now I want to lock everyone else. I just think this shows the sort of worst of human nature. But hey, it, it, there's a little, you know, virtue, righteous signal. Like, look, we're doing it better than you. We're better, th- you know, we're better than you guys. Coronavirus is an individual case. And sure, there's things, but like, just to act like somebody coming from someplace, the, the, I don't know. This is just wonderful. Yeah, I, I got to also backtrack. Robert, I apologize. Yeah, at the back of my mind, I definitely knew that Hailey G was still running, you know, mar- who was running marathons by then and not the track. I was just thinking, like, and you know, the the one-hour run, that's basically like a half marathon. So, obviously, he's going to be quite in quite good half Well, but I actually would agree with you. He's past his prime then. So, be interesting what he could have run. If he was He's past his 5K, 10K prime. Well, I know, but what if he runs the marathon during his 5K, 10K prime? Would he have been even better at it than two world, several world records? All right, guys. What about this? We 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 should we maybe we're a little too harsh. Again, 13.50, and he's now with Legends. Nico Young, congratulations on going for it for training during COVID. Oh, one other thing about that before we get to the next thing. Someone was saying, and he did this during COVID, saying acting like he would have run faster without COVID. And then someone else in the message board was disagreeing with this, saying, look, Actually, during COVID right now, it's easier to train. You don't have to go to school. All you can do is train. You have a couple online classes. So what do you guys think? Yes or no? If you're motivated, is is it easier to train now during COVID or not? I would say the last few weeks, it probably has been. At the early stages when there was a lot of uncertainty and people weren't sure if they could meet up or if they could get together on tracks or all that sort of thing, I would say, yes, it was more difficult. But now the loss, if you've been training since, you know, June 1st, I'd say, yes, that's probably easier without, you know, with fewer responsibilities, you can get a lot better sleep without, you know, school, that sort of thing. Okay. The other event we didn't really talk about from last week, Oregon Track Club versus Atlantic Track Club. They had split screens. They had commentators. I've only seen the highlights of this. There's a big threat on Nigel Amos' 600. It's an amazing – it was an amazing I, – I love that race. He went out sprinting out, had this gigantic lead at 400, and is tying up. And then Tim, Tim Hutchings is like, he's tying up. Is the guy from the from the Atlanta Track Club going to catch him? And he, Amos ended up winning by like 0.1 of a second. But, John, you're most likely to have watched all this. On the weekends, we've got the kids. We're busy. Did you watch it? What did you think? It looked to me to be very well done. I didn't watch it, actually. Uh, hopefully, I don't get fired for that. But I did sort of read the recap and see some of the results. I thought the one bummer was uh, the women's 1,200. Hannah Green was supposed to run against Yolanda and Ngarambe from uh, Atlanta Track Club, and she ended up scratching. Uh, so basically, Yolanda Ngarambe was just running a 1,200 solo virtual race that she knew she was going to win that matchup. But no, I, I give credit to that both of them for making this happen. And I, I think, you know, using the split screens and it, look, it's not going to be perfect, but I think it gives people an event to be excited about. And we've got another one on Friday with the NAZ elite. They're going to be racing a two mile, I think virtually against uh, Lee troops group T team team Boulder, I believe is what they're called. So that should be interesting as well. I, I, you know, I applaud all these teams and pro groups for trying to make something happen and try to keep fans interested in the sport until we can have regular track meets back. Yeah, the name of that thread was 600-meter time trial, the carnage of Nigel Amos. But, you know, w- one thing that's interesting to me about this is, 
you know, and I don't ever miss an opportunity to to criticize USATF. Where's the leadership of USATF in this? Are they organizing any of these events? Is Max Siegel with his million dollar salary putting on anything? Did, did he have any role in this? Did they give any money to this? Like, should, should, couldn't you organizing a few elite events when nothing else is going on? Isn't that the role of a sports leader? So I was having the same conversation with a journalist earlier this week, Robert, and we were just saying, like, why hasn't USATF taken the lead on any of this stuff and tried to put on some sort of event? We have no idea right now if we're going to have a U.S. championships. USATF hasn't said anything on that, and maybe I'll give them some credit. Maybe they don't want to rush into it and make announce something when they know they're not going to be able to hold it. But it'd be nice to give some sort of an update. Say we're still considering whether to have USAs and. Also, to maybe put together some sort of replacement or a virtual meet or something so that their athletes can compete and their fans can get excited about it. I mean, it's amazing for as high as his salary is, how low he is in terms of getting publicity. You think he'd at least be leading on this or the Black Lives Matters movement as a, as a high-profile black CEO, but I, I, I don't hear anything coming out of Indianapolis. The only thing, one thing we did hear last week, last week's podcast, we talked about how the times achieved this summer would not count for Olympic trials qualifications. Maybe that day or the next day, USATF contacts John and says, oh, by the way, what we published on our website wasn't actually necessarily true. We haven't decided what we're going to do, even though we published it on our website. So, uh, you know, and then I put up a headline on the Let's Run, like USATF does it again. Weldon made me soften that and said, again, it's too easy to be a critic. Yes, it's easy to be an outraged critic. It's hard to actually build things and change things. I understand that. But, I mean, we saw this last year at the Pan Am Games. They announced, they put up something on their website that they didn't, End up following, they ended up deciding they weren't going to follow that. And then we had to take them to court so that they would follow it or help take them to court. And then, like, how hard is it to decide if you're going to count the times or not? And why would you put it up on the website if you're not sure if it's going to happen? Yeah, it's, I mean, you can, it's probably just an honest mistake. They didn't mean to, they were one person, the person who was probably in charge of putting it up thought it was finalized and it wasn't finalized yet. But yeah, how hard is it to have communication like that? I mean, it's, it's, it's just unprofessional. It doesn't look good on your organization when you put out some statement, which they didn't even, they didn't announce this to make it clear. Like it's a very important statement for athletes who are thinking about competing this summer about whether they can get the trial standard or not. And USA, it's not like this was some big story. They just sort of quietly updated their, their website with this information. Yeah. And then Weldon got mad at me for criticizing them. This new age, we have to be sensitive to everybody. I, no, my, my, I mean, my goal here isn't to just like get mad about everyone and criticize everything, which you know people might think sometimes based on these podcasts. But yeah, I also just think you know they made a mistake. But I also think like they've this isn't the first time they've made a mistake like yeah. this. But it's like the Nico Young thing. They did ninety five percent of it, ninety percent of it right. But then they blew the weather and they blew the promotion at the end. Like just even that morning, put out the, put out a tweet. Don't do it when everyone's asleep. So speaking since we're following up on last week's podcast. Last week, John, you and I kind of a little bit had Christian Cohen's back. We wanted to see more info. But since more information has come out, I still want to have more info. I want the facts. Like, who's got proof of being where? The tester and him. I'm getting less and less sympathy for him the more he tries to justify it. I mean, basically, he went on the flow, uh, flow track show or podcast or something. 
and had this elaborate thing about how he's at Chipotle and the Apple Store and Best Buy and shopping. So he basically was providing all these examples of how he was not where he was supposed to be during a one-hour window when he's the number one athlete in all of track and field, or arguably one the number one athlete in all of track and field. And we still, he says he came back. We don't have any proof that he came back. And I was thinking about this. This guy, if you win the Olympic gold medal in the 100 meters, you're making at least a million dollars, probably several million dollars. His agent should probably pay somebody $50 an hour, once an hour, once a day. What is that? $15,000 a year to just you know, contact Christian the 15 minutes before the thing. Are you there? Are you going to be there? Hell, have your have give find my iPhone to the assistant so they can track where he is. There should have been GPS on this. I mean, literally, this is a multi million dollar mistake if he ends up being suspended for the Olympics. And I, I know it's hard to think long term, but this should have been the more I think about it, the most important thing he was doing that time of year. I mean, nothing else was going on. He wasn't training. So. No, I, I agree with you, Robert. Like, obviously, Kristen's obviously Kristen's a human, but as an agent, you're looking at this. You know, you want to look out for his best interest, but it's also an investment, both for Christian and for the agent, who is Emmanuel Hudson in this case, is his agent. Looking at this is like you want to protect this. Like this guy, this is he has an opportunity to build generational wealth here. And what is it to yeah have some person just make sure their one job is make sure Christian is in his whereabouts window. For one hour and through January 16th, which is when his, you know, second missed test would expire and he's no longer sitting on two missed tests. I, I just, it's staggering to me that this situation would happen given all that happened in 2019 with the missed test. But I also think, based on what Christian says, you know, if he was back by the end of the window, I do think he has a case to say, hey, I was available for testing. So, right. you know, we can say, what was he doing every single thing possible to make sure he was available for testing. No, he wasn't there during the whole window. I think he probably should have been. But also, if he was available for testing and he wasn't tested, I don't think that's necessarily oh, his fault. Oh, I agree. If he was there for one minute, that's good enough for me. And this is the thing. If we if we don't have video proof on both sides, then I'm letting him off. I want video proof from now on on these on these things so we don't so we aren't debating this. I also am interested in about the phone call. So a lot of British athletes were like, "Hey, we never get phone calls. This could count as advance heads up. You know, why should Americans get it? To me, I think a f- the goal here should not be worrying that a phone call, if you can't locate someone and you need to meet them within 10 minutes, is going to give them opportunity to cover up or, you know, they're still going to test positive if you find them 10 minutes later. I think the goal here should be make sure the test gets done. Like, now giving someone advance notice or calling them up the day before or something like that, obviously that's off limits but if you're trying to find someone like coleman i don't think telling them hey you need to show up and then he gets maybe like 30 minutes you know i just don't think that this the number of scenarios where he'd be able to effectively cover his tracks seems very unlikely i think the benefit of making sure they take the test outweighs that i mean do you guys think that they should be able to call him if they can't find him maybe when you're sitting on two tests at the 45-minute mark, call him and the agent or somebody. One thing I was thinking about, about you know, hiring the assistant to do it, but that kind of reminds me of Cornell. Sometimes I would do things for athletes. You do need to teach people to take care of themselves. Eventually, they're going to have to be on their own in life. So, But in the short term here, I was saying, you know, you want to do that. But, guys, a few other things as we get towards the end of the show. 
Last week, two-time U.S. Olympian and former indoor mile world record holder Dick Burkle died at age 72. Um, there was a great article in the DemocratandChronicle.com, Rochester Democrat and Chronicle, on him and his life. He grew up in the Buffalo area, went to Villanova after running like 1030 in high school. He only ran one year of high school track. Gets down to 354 in the indoor mile. But it, it, it was fascinating. This is, he made the 76 and 80 Olympic teams. John, it just reminded me of, of a different era. Like, this guy would be training in Buffalo with a job. He was always an amateur. I think he was selling contact lenses. Flies down to Maryland in a snowstorm and sets the indoor mile world record, 354. He won the one to make a mile back when that was a huge deal. Um, but the guy would apparently was like running marathons in the off season. Like, how cool is that? I, I, I try to, I, I don't see the marathon time until it's job shop, but it said on there that he ran two marathons at least. So I see a 28, 25, 10,000 meters. So pretty <laughs> indoor mile. I guess Mo Farah's got some sick range, but pretty cool time just to think back. Um, and then I think a few days before that, another 350, actually, I guess a 355 miler. Jim Grell, who was a former Oregon great, he died at 83. He held the U.S. mile record for nine days at 355.4 before Jim Ryan broke it. So RIP to both gentlemen. Um, but there was just a fantastic recommended read on the website on, on uh, Burkle. Yeah, definitely check the, that out. Jim Grell, early Oregon legend, and was also one of his well claims to fame or infamy was he was outkicked by a 17-year-old Jim Ryan for the final spot on the 1964 Olympic team. So he lost his American record to Ryan, and he lost the final spot on the 64 Olympic team, though he was an Olympic finalist in 1960, so Jim Grell, a legend. Let's talk about another legend. Just retired this week, officially, Dwayne Solomon. Now, this is one of those retirements where he's kind of been retired for a while. Like he... Since the twenty seven since the twenty sixteen U.S. Olympic trials, he has finished precisely two races. His most recent was a one fifty five last year at the Music City Distance Carnival. So pretty far fall from his one forty two in his prime. But obviously, you know, as athletes get older, they get injuries. It's harder to stay consistent, especially in the eight hundred. It's a young man's game. So Solomon, he's now thirty five years old, but his prime was pretty darn spectacular. He wasn't exactly. You know, he was a little bit of a late bloomer in the 800. You know, he was good in college, but he really took off in 2012. His PR entering that year was 145.23, and he got it all the way down to 142.82. He got fourth place in that legendary 2012 Olympic final. Running 142 in the Olympic final, most times that'll get you a medal, but he just happened to be in the deepest 800-meter race in history. Uh, The next year... He won the Monaco Diamond League. He won the first of two straight U.S. outdoor titles. He made the World Championship final in Moscow and got sixth. So he had a nice little run there from 2012 through 2014 and then sort of tailed off. But, you know, definitely a big-time talent and the third-fastest American 800 runner of all time. Feels like he's been forgotten a little bit in recent years, but he's faster than Clayton Murphy, faster than Nick Simmons, fourth in the Olympics. And remember, when we had Simmons on the podcast a few weeks ago, he said Dwayne was his, he viewed Dwayne as his biggest rival. So we've really had a, a great, you know, last 10 years or so of 800 meter running in the U.S. So, guys, well, we haven't gotten to your favorite segment, the threads of the week, deleted threads of the week. 
I want to bring up one for you when we get to that part, but it looks like you want to talk about something else. I think Dwayne deserves a few words of mention from myself as well. I mean, he's always going to remember for that Olympic final, right? I mean, 142 and you get fourth. But I think heading into that race, right, like Nick Simmons was kind of the guy in the U.S. And Dwayne sort of delivered it on the biggest stage, but just missed that medal. I mean, if he gets a medal there, I think his retirement gets a much bigger deal, right? I, I kind of thought he'd retired a couple years ago, to be honest. But I think his career deserves almost more mention than it's getting now. I mean, Nick was way more consistent, right? Won all the U.S. titles. And then also sort of established himself on social media. And Dwayne was had a briefer career, not quite the consistency. But, you know, times don't lie. Olympic success doesn't lie. So he'll be missed. Yeah, I mean, think about it this way. Who is sort of, I, I guess Clayton Murphy is still act, active as an athlete. But when you ask a lot of track fans, like, who do they think about in terms of 800? I think a lot of people would say Clayton Murphy has a more impressive resume or they know him better than Dwayne Solomon. And, you know, Clayton's won USA Outdoors twice, but he was third at the Olympics, even though he was a slightly slower time. He ran 142.93 compared to 142.82 by Solomon in their Olympic finals. But that Olympic medal is just, when you know, when Clayton Murphy retires, the first line in his resume is going to be, 2016 Olympic bronze medalist and Solomon just without that medal it is a little different how we view them but he was obviously you know just as good as Clayton Murphy and and put together a you know really impressive little stretch there but I think Murphy the other thing is he's still young he's got time to add to that legacy for sure although I'm looking Murphy ran pretty fast to get his Olympic medal wow 142.93. The lesson here is if you want a PR, get in an Olympic final with David Rudisha and he'll help you out. Yeah, because I was thinking, oh, you know, Dwayne must have run so much faster, but he only ran 0.11 faster than Murphy four years later. So great runs all along. It just shows, you know, life isn't really fair. Sport isn't fair. You finish fourth at an Olympics, you're not going to be remembered as well as someone who finishes third. Yeah, and if you, it's about like if you have a good year, like if you had a great year in 2018, you know Shelby Houlihan could have easily won a world championship or an Olympics if the Olympics were held in 2018. But instead, they were you know 2019. She doesn't even get a medal. She doesn't get on the podium because Sifan Hassan goes to a new level. It's it's all about timing. Beep, 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 beep. More breaking news, this time on the negative front. What was the last breaking news in this podcast? Was it good or bad? I can't remember, Weldon. It was Connecticut locking out Texans. It was terrible news, terrible news. I mean... Well, Weldon's home state is locking out Texans, his own native state, and now they are canceling men's track and field and cross country. Oh, not track and field. Men's cross country has been canceled at UConn, but apparently... Not track and field. Do they even have track and field there? I sh- they they, they, sh- they I, do. So these administrators, this is the perfect example showing that they don't, maybe it's a Title IX thing, but they don't really care about the non-major sports because if you're going to have a track and field team, you kind of need to have a cross-country team if you want to have any distance runners on the team. So it's be like, okay, we're going to have a basketball team, but we're not going to have any guards. We're only going to recruit centers and forwards, you know, John? Like, yeah, you can be 
okay if they can get some a big man like LeBron or something. But just come on. And this may be also, if it is a Title IX, because it doesn't cost any more to run the cross-country season, a few thousand dollars. You've already got the coaches. You've already got the athletes. This reminds me of what Weldon's saying earlier. Like, I really don't think it's right to count these athletes three times. Just Title IX, if you're going to use the ratio thing, let's just talk about how many male student athletes there are, how many female student athletes there are. Let's don't count the females three times to do cross-country, indoor, and outdoor. Now, I know that may create even worse problems for Title IX, but let's just be honest about how many people, how many men, how many women are competing in sports. Let's don't act like Susie Favor because she runs all three is counting three times. Well, Robert, I th- think you were previously were going to bring about threads. Staying focused on Connecticut, should we deal with a thread dealing with Connecticut and me personally? Yes. Uh, great minds think alike. Well, then are you worried? Statues are coming down. It's not just... It's not just Confederate statues that are coming down. Um, the uh, John, I'm, I'm having a brain freeze. Uh, head of the Union Army, help me out here. Oh my God, Ulysses S. Grant. Yeah, Ulysses S. Grant's statue has come down in one major American city. Anyways, but uh, there's a thread started on Let's Run. Should Yale be taken out of the Ivy League or at least change its name? I mean, Yale, Eli Yale was a was a big slaveholder. Whole school is named Eli Yale. So, you know, if we're gonna, well, are you worried that Yale should be names going to be changed? And B, should it be changed? No, it should not be changed. No, it's not. It's not going to be changed, and it shouldn't be changed. Well, I don't. I'm not sure I said that right. First of all, this is great. I think some conservative guy started this to show the hypocrisy of some of these people because. I think a lot of people associated with Yale, they love the prestige of the name Yale. So if you change the name, does that go away? So I'm like, they're not changing this. There's no way. But then I'm like, wait, what if all the other sort of woke people in the Ivy League demand it gets changed? So it's just not Yale people itself. They're not changing the name. No way. It's just like, that's the name. And it's far enough back. And then if now if you look at the Wikipedia entry, entry people are disputing some of the slavery allegations about Elihi Yale. So... It's pretty interesting, but I don't know. I mean, I think the guy may have been involved in the slave trade way, way back in the day. He never even came, he never even stepped foot on Yale. He gave books to something that became the nail. So Yale locks have to go. I don't know if that's named after him as well. But hey, you know, I think the name's going to stay the same. But you could Washington D.C. Every name we have pretty much needs to go. What was crazy to me was how many of the early presidents had slaves. I mean, I, I want to say it's double digits. This wasn't some Sla- slavery was legal in the United States at the time and was a major source of economic wealth in you know Virginia and the South. I mean, is it that surprising? I guess I just remembered that from U.S. history. So, yeah, I mean, slavery was like throughout the United States. You know, throughout the whole like. American hemisphere was huge. I mean, I've seen stats saying that there's more slavery, more people in servitude today than ever. I don't know like how they're defining slavery, but it's sort of the history. We sort of have a very myopic view. Not that it's, we're not still seeing the effects of slavery in America even today, but like it's, it, it's been a part of human history forever. And it was very prevalent especially in the Americas, I think, for 
crops and plantations and that sort of thing. John, I don't want to appear as a totally uninformed white guy, but no, I mean, I, I knew slavery was big, but I, 10 of the first 12 presidents had slaves. Like that it seems harder to me. You hear about the North and the South, you know, and it's actually, we talked about Grant. It's interesting. The Union General owned a slave. So he was the last U.S. president that owned a slave. So it was 10 of 12. So 14 presidents, 14 of the first 18 presidents is the total there. So, you know, it's it's a troubling part of America's history. But I think, you know, it is our history. And we need to acknowledge it, kind of like that email we talked about a few weeks ago, where in Germany they don't hide from their history. Gosh, Robert, I'm not sure if I should pat you on your back, but related to your comment right there, we received an email from a visitor. He specifically tells me not to pat you on the back, but it's just specifically related to exactly what you just said. This young man's actually a moderator on our forums, and he writes, somebody had asked previously if we had any African-American moderators. And I said, honestly, I don't know. I don't know the race of all my moderators. Some of these people I've only emailed with and I've never asked them the race. This guy writes, I'm African-American. You guys say sometimes that no one wants to hear three white guys talk about race. But honestly, that's better than no discussion. It's more than most people do. You'd be surprised. Also, Rojo's comparison of German and American history was phenomenal. Completely added a new perspective on this country's history for me. Don't tell him I said that, though. Don't want him to get a big head, right? Congrats on completely ignoring his wishes, Weldon, and broadcasting this on our podcast. Should I have done that? Should we delete this segment? I just was like, well, but also, like, I don't get Why is this guy playing Rojo? Rojo, I don't think, brought up the German history. Some emailer brought it up, and now he's crediting Rojo. Like, Rojo somehow makes it all about himself. It comes back to him. And now this guy who's a moderator on the forums is praising Rojo. Well, feels good to get more praise even when I'm trying not to get the praise. I'm thinking about getting like voiceovers, professional voiceover. We got to have music, intros, and make this a little more professional. We can have Rojo's rant, and then we'll have like where Rojo was right. We'll also have where Rojo was wrong. Unlike most people, I'm not afraid to admit that I was wrong. But maybe, and also, I don't know, marketing... We've already got a core audience of thousands of people, but we need to get tens of thousands of people. So, you know, maybe we 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 market the podcast as the Rojo podcast with JG and Weijo. Oh my god! Kind of kidding people. So, all right, any anyone who had uh, June twenty fourth, twenty twenty, is the time where Rojo type tries to take over the podcast entirely and make it all about him. Congratulations, you're the winner. Well, guys, I think it's been a good week. Sorry the New York and Berlin are canceled. Excited about Hamburg. If it does happen, at least they're trying. Although sometimes people tell me that these are insurance scams, like people are trying to act like they're going to have the race, so the insurance will actually pay out when they have to cancel at the last moment, when the local authorities forbid them. John, I'm happy that your Premier League team seems to be doing okay. Hopefully I don't jinx them into relegation. Seagulls. Seagulls. Well, then I'm glad mother, mom got to visit the baby. I don't think it was a good idea, but at least she got up there before the quarantine of texas people and i'm out till next week all right everyone oh don't remember see you next week yes but go to let's slash coaching and i'll coach you